It's Wednesday, March 17th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Which vaccine are you getting? For now, the experts are clear that the best vaccine to get is the first one that's available to you. But if you had your choice as supply goes up, which one would you get? There are concerns about side effects, effectiveness, and immunity, and those differences are small, but they do exist. Elizabeth Weiss, national correspondent at USA Today, joins us for what to know about the available vaccine. Next, the White House is planning a wide-reaching campaign at getting those that are skeptical of the vaccines on board. It will be targeting young people, people of color, and conservatives. A recent focus group shows that to target some GOP voters, it will be best to keep politics out of it and provide as much information as possible so they can make informed decisions. Dan Diamond, national health reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for how to win over some vaccine skeptics. Finally, in a good sign of a recovering economy, the hotel industry is starting to regain some footing after its worst year ever. Americans are getting the itch to travel again, and there's some good indicators for the leisure and hospitality industry. They are hiring again, getting advanced bookings, and seeing stock shares rise. Peter Grant, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for what we hope is a hotel rebound. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Johnson & Johnson, it actually doesn't reach 100% till 49 days after the shot. So they're kind of about in the same place. So I would have thought Johnson & Johnson would be faster, but in truth, it's not. Joining us now is Elizabeth Weiss, national correspondent at USA Today. Thanks for joining us, Elizabeth. You're welcome. You know, now that the vaccines are rolling out, one of the first questions I ask everybody that I know that has gotten the vaccine, the first thing I ask is, which one did you get? And then all the people that I talk to that haven't gotten it yet, I always ask them, which one do you want to get? And uh, Elizabeth, you wrote an article talking about some of the differences between the vaccines that we have out there right now between Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. The differences are small, but they do exist. And as these things really start ramping up, there could be a surplus of them, and you might be able to get a choice one day. So Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about some of the differences we're seeing and, and why some might be appropriate for other peoples and others. It is really important to note first that right now nobody's getting a choice. I haven't found any place that when you walk in, they say, oh, which one do you want? Right, right. And whatever they give you, that's what you should take because it's better to have a vaccine, whatever that vaccine is. And the other important thing to know is that all three of them work extremely well to protect against severe disease, hospitalization, and death, which is the things you want to be protected against. That said, there are a few minor differences. The biggest is Johnson & Johnson, which is one and done. It's just one shot. So if you're somebody who it's hard for you to get in to get the shot, that might be the game changer right there because you only have to go in once. People who have needle phobias, it's a great one because you just have to do one. You don't have to be worrying about the second one. And also, I've heard from some people who are not entirely convinced that this is they really even want it, but they're like, oh, you know, for the good of society, for the good of the people around me, or maybe just like my boss is kind of making it sound like, yes, it would be good. One is fine. And if they have to get a vaccine, they'd rather get one and not two. That's one of the most interesting things that I've come across throughout all of these conversations is uh, because when you do look at the effectiveness rates, Pfizer and Moderna boast higher numbers. And when Johnson & Johnson was coming out, I was like, man, nobody's going to want to get that one. But in talking through with a lot of people, 
for all those uh, reasons you just mentioned, yeah, a lot of people are more than happy to just get the Johnson and Johnson and have that one shot and be done. It's very hard to say one is definitively better than the other. Exactly. It does look like Pfizer and Moderna have slightly higher efficacy rates than Johnson and Johnson. But I talked to one researcher in Australia who made a really good point. She was like, listen, if you are somebody who, if you get COVID, there's a good chance you're going to get really sick or end up in the hospital or even die. I mean, maybe you have a lot of comorbidities, you've got heart disease, you've got lung disease, you're very old, or maybe somebody in your family that you want, you know, your grandma, and you want to make sure you protect them, or your dad who's got cancer and is on immunosuppressant drugs. You want the absolute strongest possible thing you can possibly get. And so given the choice, you might say, yeah, you know, I'll go for Pfizer and Moderna. It's only a few percentage points, but in my situation, I want those percentage points. Now, there's a lot of other people for whom those percentage points don't really matter. I mean, if you're young and healthy and everybody around you is young and healthy, and if you live someplace, I mean, I'm in San Francisco, frankly, the rate of coronavirus that is circulating here is quite low compared to the rest of the country. I mean, I still wear a mask always outside, but it's a relatively safe place to be. If you're in a situ- one of those situations, you might say, I don't care about that extra three or 4%. It's fine. Give me this one. It's good. And so that was interesting because I hadn't right. really thought about it. Yeah. Different people, you know, you could be total belt and suspenders or you could be, yeah, no, that's good. And, <laughs> and that's all I need side effects, because a lot of people are concerned about side effects. We've heard about, you know, the headache, fever, chills. Really, that signals that the vaccine is working and your your body is uh, putting out that immune response. But what are some of the differences between these three vaccines right now with regards to that? So we're still learning more about Johnson & Johnson because it hasn't been, I mean, it hasn't gone out to millions and millions of people yet because it's new. But in general, what we know is that with the Pfizer, BioNTech, and the Moderna vaccines, it looks like about half of the folks who get them have chills and fever for a few days afterwards. And some people, I mean, you know, one of my colleagues, like, he's like, I was in bed for a day and a half. I felt like I was getting the flu and then it went away and it was fine. And he was happy because he's like, I know my immune system is revved up now. An interesting thing that I learned when I was reporting this is that if you haven't had COVID, the reaction tends to be stronger after your second dose of Pfizer and Moderna. If you did have COVID, it tends to be stronger with the first dose. So usually you don't get that strong reaction after both doses. It's either the first or the second. I saw that too, Um, and I thought that was totally interesting, kind of that that, uh, that flip right there. If you've had it or not, depends which side of that vaccine dose is going to be stronger, or the reaction is going to be stronger. And also younger people are more likely to have that reaction than older people because as you get older, your immune system just becomes a little clunkier and and doesn't rev up quite as much. And the last thing I just wanted you to talk us through real quick is the immunity factor, how long it takes for it to work, because you're supposed to wait two weeks, three weeks, something like that, after the second shot before everything finally kicks in when it's uh, Pfizer and Moderna, at least. And that was actually interesting to me, too, because I think you would think that Johnson & Johnson would be faster just because it's one and you're done. They all become quite effective pretty quickly. Maximum effectiveness takes a while because it takes a while for your body to produce all the T cells. And there's multiple kinds of T cells it's producing. And antibodies require something that's called maturation within the body. So for Moderna and Pfizer, you get that maximum protection like 14 to 28 days after both shots. With 
Johnson and Johnson, it actually doesn't reach 100% till 49 days after the shot. So they're kind of about in the same place. So I would have thought Johnson and Johnson would be faster, but in truth, it's not. And yet they're both fine. Elizabeth Weiss, national correspondent at USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. You're so welcome. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. Joining us now is Dan Diamond, national health reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. The White House is working on a a wide-reaching public relations campaign that's aimed at boosting vaccine confidence and just getting more people to get that vaccine. You might have seen some of it already, but it'll be increasing in the next few weeks. Television, radio, digital advertising ads, all aimed at people getting that vaccine. And it's really targeting three groups, young people, people of color, and conservatives. Last week, Dan, we spoke about the hesitancy of a lot of GOP voters in getting the vaccine. And you were telling us about a focus group that was going to be done by longtime GOP pollster Frank Luntz that took place over the weekend. And we're starting to get a a better picture of what might work in persuading more of these voters to get the vaccine. And a lot of them really, you know, they want to be educated on the issue. They want all the information they can possibly get in most cases and keep the politics out of it. So, Dan, what did we learn from that focus group? That focus group was one of the more interesting experiences I've had during the coronavirus pandemic. It was virtual. So there were folks from about 15 states around the country, uh, about 20 Republicans, all Trump voters. One of them uh, dropped off the call, so ended up with 19. But for about two and a half hours, they were presented with arguments by prominent Republicans, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Senator Bill Cassidy, the Republican from Louisiana, Brad Wenstrup the uh, congressman who's head of the House Doctors Caucus, and then Tom Frieden, who was the head of the Centers for Disease Control under President Obama for eight years. Lawmakers mostly struck out. It was the doctor who won over many members of the group by just sticking to the facts, acknowledging what he knew and didn't know, but really hammering home that people who didn't get the shot were putting themselves at more risk and people who are exposing themselves to the risk of getting the virus. The participants were pretty adamant that they believed that coronavirus was real, so they they weren't saying it was a hoax or anything, and they didn't want to come off as anti-vaxxers. They said their hesitation really had to do with the unknown long-term effects. It's a brand-new vaccine. The pandemic just happened, so we don't have that data. But that was one of the things. And then really the politicization of the entire thing is what turned them off a lot government scientists and politicians they felt were misleading them throughout this whole thing? I think there's been a misnomer the past number of months that people who don't want the vaccine, that they're all against vaccines. That's not the case in my reporting, certainly from the focus group. Yes, there are Americans who don't believe that vaccines work, which I think is a sad state of affairs. There's so much positive evidence for the value of vaccination. But in this case, It really is the fact that the vaccine appeared so quickly. And what Dr. Frieden made sure to emphasize, there were years of research leading up to the breakthroughs that happened last year. And one reason the vaccines were developed so fast was red tape was removed. So it wasn't that 
the process was changed. People still got the vaccine in the trial. There were still checks on the data and the science. It just happened faster because they got rid of what usually are these long periods of waiting that happen with other scientific developments. And then this other piece, the politicization, the politics of coronavirus. For a lot of Americans, last year, the election campaign was decided by coronavirus. And people who voted for Joe Biden believed that Donald Trump, with a lot of good evidence, I think, did not do a good job managing the coronavirus pandemic. People who voted for Donald Trump disproportionately thought that he did the best he could. And that came through in the focus group. People thought Trump, in some cases, thought he did an amazing job, they said, of responding to the pandemic. The Democrats used the virus to try and win a political game last year. So I think that's one reason why Trump voters are so skeptical. They believe the virus has been used as a political tool, even though they believe it exists. They're worried that the vaccine is now just the latest in Democratic efforts, even though there's no evidence to suggest that. What did they learn about messaging that would work for these types of voters? Because I think they even asked at one point, you know, would a message from President Trump work? And they said they didn't even really care for that. A doctor or family members were more likely to persuade them. The hope was that a recent ad from four former presidents, President Obama, President Bush, President Clinton, President Jimmy Carter, that the four of them would, a a unified effort, win some more skeptics over. But when this ad that appeared last week was shown to the Trump voters, they had a really negative reaction. Maybe that's predictable. Donald Trump wasn't in the ad. But what they said was, we don't need to hear from any more politicians telling us that this is our duty to get the shot. We've heard from enough politicians over the past year. The idea also of President Trump making a personal appeal, that's come up a lot in recent days. Tony Fauci, the government scientist, he's made the argument that President Trump could step forward and by simply telling people to get a shot, they would. The voters in the focus group said they weren't opposed to hearing from Trump, but really he didn't matter as much as hearing from their own doctors or from their own spouses. And I think that just hammers home. Politicians are not the ideal messengers for public health information. Dan Diamond, national health reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me back. Stay safe. What is especially encouraging is we're beginning to see a little bit of business travel. But we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves. It's going to take a long, long time for the hotel business to fully recover. It could take years. Joining us now is Peter Grant, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Peter. My pleasure. We're always looking for any indicator to show that the economy might be coming back after this pandemic. In many ways, it was a years-long shutdown and We know many, many industries have been hit very hard by this. The travel industry, obviously, the leisure and hospitality industry as well. Restaurants everywhere has been hit by the pandemic. But we're starting to see some good signs coming out of the hotel industry, regaining some footing after really the worst year that they've had in in such a long time. We're starting to see some new hirings. We're starting to see some advanced bookings. All of this is good news. So, Peter, tell us a little bit more about it. 
the lodging industry got totally clobbered during the pandemic for obvious reason. Conventions, no. International travel, no. Business travel, no. There was a little bit of leisure travel by people traveling by cars, but that was pretty much it. But now people are getting vaccinated. The infection rate is going down. And as all of us know, all over the planet, we've been champing at the bit to get out. So with those positive signs, people are traveling more. What is especially encouraging is we're beginning to see a little bit of business travel. But we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves. It's going to take a long, long time for the hotel business to fully recover. It could take years. We don't see any signs of conventions coming back. We don't see any signs that the big corporate travelers are coming back. And that's going to take a long time. Tell me a little bit about jobs, because I know that a lot of hotels and chains are beginning to hire back workers. I know actually some people work on the engineering side that just got hired to work for hotels. So that part of it is ramping up. That's a very good sign, at least. It is a good sign. And yes, hotels are beginning to hire. They can look at the numbers like anybody else can. And they know that the hotel industry will come back, particularly resort hotels. People want to travel. And so the hotels that cater mostly to leisure travelers are beginning to hire staff. They're making plans to reopen. They're getting advanced bookings. And so things do look positive. Once again, we got to be careful that if there's some horrible variant that surfaces or the uh, infection rate starts rising, we could go back to the way it was. Stocks are also an important indicator of how the businesses is doing and all that. We've seen some stocks going up with regards to all of this. February was a great month for the lodging stocks, and investors are making a bet that people are going to begin to travel. A lot of these shares were beaten down pretty badly during the pandemic, so they're looking at this as a buying opportunity. These advanced bookings is pretty important because it's signaling that future travel, people laying down the groundwork for uh, vacations and all that, that's a big thing for hotel owners, especially how they try to plan out what the business is going to be in the next coming months. A lot of people, including myself, who have gotten vaccinated are thinking, wow, fares look pretty good right now. Why don't I lock something in for maybe traveling in two or three months and take advantage of the good fares? And the cancellation rates are also great. So why not lock something in? I can always cancel at the last minute. So I'm going to make my reservation now. I'm going to reserve a hotel room now. And from the hotel side, they're getting a lot of those advanced bookings. You did speak to uh, Marriott's new president, Stephanie Linertz. What did she have to say about going through this past year and, and bringing us to now and into the future? To be clear, I didn't talk to her. This was from an earnings call. So she she talked to me and a lot of uh, her other best friends in the <laughs> earnings and analysts and investor land. But what we what she said in the call, and this was back in February, she said, we're getting some really nice advanced bookings. And think about it. That was back in February. And she said, in January, we're getting advanced bookings for like a year from now and beyond. And people are willing to pay higher prices than they were a year earlier. So they saw that as a good sign. Another good sign, which I didn't know whether or not you wanted to ask me about or not, was this deal that was just announced where uh, Blackstone and Starwood are buying extended stay hotels. And we talked to both Blackstone and Starwood and they said, yes, we're making a bet that business travel especially is going to return. Peter Grant, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Nice talking to you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at 
Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.